Hello and welcome to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Stuart. And I'm Simon. We're both property people running our own property businesses and this podcast is just us chatting as we often do about anything and everything property. And at the time of this recording, the budget has just been released. So we thought it would be a little bit silly if we didn't start talking about that and just getting a high level view of how that affects us as property people and more specifically our property businesses. Now, I'm, I can be completely honest and say that the time I've had, I've only seen a few headlines in news agents because I have been very limited on time. But of course, I always defer to Simon on these kinds of things, given his depth of research and analytical capabilities. <laughs> so, Simon, I guess the first question that all of us have at these times of budget is, What's happening to us as landlords? Because we've been hammered for a long time now. Is there anything you've seen that we should be wary of that's come out of this budget? Well, first of all, I'm just going to uh, sort of frame my answers in in appropriate light of having read a few articles and and write-ups, and one of which was from an accountant, and not having done any deep analysis, as you may have suggested in that intro. <laughs> Okay, caveat supplied. <laughs> Given that, this budget seems, from a landlord point of view, to have largely left us alone, which I think is good, and possibly as good as we could have expected as, as landlords and, and property people. Now, I should say property people as a whole obviously includes developers, and the story's a little bit different for them. But, uh, but yeah, for landlords, I think it's quiet and Nothing's nothing's got better, but hopefully nothing has got worse either. So, so yeah, all good. I think we should be happy with that, given the, the events over the last few years, such as the removal of uh, interest rate relief and so on. I think I'm happy with the status quo for now. So that's always a good start. Yeah, there were certainly a lot, lot of rumours flying around, as there always are before before budgets, that, that things were going to get get terrible and capital gains tax was going to be hiked and, and goodness knows what else. And and yeah, it's, it's all good. And in fact, actually, um, I believe that the time you have to pay your capital gains tax has actually increased. So it was was thirty days after you've sold a property, and I believe it's changed in that in the budget to sixty days. So so may, maybe there is actually a little little tiny good bit even in there. We've got to take what we can get, haven't we, at the moment? And the other element that certainly caught my eye briefly was around cladding, given. The issues which I've documented fairly well on this podcast, having bought a flat a couple of years ago where we've got an issue with cladding. So what, what uh, did you see around that, Simon? So I think this is probably all too late for, for your flat, which is a, a shame. But yeah, the, the government announced £5 billion of, of money to, to help with the, the cladding problems and help help resolve those. Although... A lot of that's going to be raised from the larger house builders. And they've announced a, a levy of, I think, 4% on house builders that make over £25 million in profit. So I, I doubt those particular businesses are, are very happy. But then again, they are making £25 million in profit. So I'm not going to feel too sorry for them. No, let's not. On house builders, though, one other thing that perhaps wasn't in the budget was an extension to help to buy. and. That's now set to, I believe, end in 18 months' time, roughly, which is how it was before and how it still is because it wasn't changed in the budget. And I think house builders were actually hoping that that would be extended again. 
and I saw a, a comment from from Bellway, one of the the big house builders, saying that the lack of help to buy is actually going to affect their plans and reduce some properties um, or reduce the number of properties that they're planning to to build. So it's interesting, I think, that the house builders are so reliant on on a government scheme help to buy to help boost their revenues and presumably profits from from certain developments that without it they, they might actually change their minds on building some of them mm-hmm. so i i find that a bit uh, a bit surprising and obviously a bit disappointing that that there might be fewer houses being built because I, I really think we need more not less well and the government agrees don't they I, you know the target was from memory uh, circa 200 280 i think per, per annum and, and you know we were well behind that already so that's not in debate. And I suppose from, from a help to buy perspective, who, who are the people that are most buying new builds? I, I, I've just bought one, I guess, families and people moving up. But, you know, first time buyers, probably a, a great market and for help to buy, obviously. So it's uh, be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, definitely. I think something that, that maybe will help try to, to counter that that was in the budget as well was some extra money to unlock brownfield sites. So I've, I've not included the, the actual amount in our notes, so I don't know, know the numbers to quote you, but it's millions of pounds that the government have said they're going to put into helping develop brownfield sites. Now, considering most of the development of brownfield sites will actually obviously be done by builders, I'm not entirely sure how this money is intended to be spent, whether it's backhanders to the builders or whether it's uh, sort of in the, the planning and within councils to help them progress such sites or identify sites and things like that. But, uh, but it's, I think it's, it's a good good move. I mean, do you, what's your view, Stuart, on trying to build more within towns and, and make the most of, of that space? Or, or do, you, do you prefer the sort of more rural, spread out approach to, to housing? I think where we are as a, as a society is that we should be using making the most of what we've already got. And if that means using existing buildings, land sites, then for me, that makes perfect sense. And I'm not thinking from a from a purchaser point of view or an investor point of view. I'm just thinking from an environmental point of view. You know, if we've got brownfield sites and, and we've all seen it, particularly given in the last couple of years where we know the retail landscape has changed dramatically, something you know, I'm, I'm sort of aware of in, you know, in my consultancy role, then we need to be using those spaces. You know, you spoke with um, our guests, Pam and Tanya, recently about uh, John Lewis, who are, who are turning residential. And, and, you know, I read about that a while back as well. But it makes perfect sense to me that we should be using all of the available space we've got. You know, obviously, anyone that's been in property investment, you know, we had the, the big splurge on office to residential. We then, we've then we've seen the conversion of pubs and there's, there's no reason that that shouldn't then be retail to residential. If those spaces aren't getting used, then, then, then why shouldn't we? And then, you know, I think, yeah, then look at other spaces. But that's, that's kind of my view. I, I, I suppose I've got a fairly strong view on that, as you might have detected there. But that is my view on, on that. There, there, there are lots of plots of land around the place that are not being utilised, either at all or where property has been... Um, sort of abandoned or it's only used a little bit now and there's lots of extra space around it and things and I, I do feel that that's, that's really a waste however I'm going to talk just quickly about a couple of real life 
examples close to us. So there in Red Hill, I'm currently aware of at least three office blocks that are being converted into residential flats. And I th- think there might be a fourth, but I'm not sure if that's actually already happened and been finished. So we're losing three fairly big office buildings, maybe four, and they're going to become flats. Red Hill is also undergoing some big development with three big flat developments. One of them replacing a previous building, a, an old cinema that was was knocked down. And another one on a, well, I say empty site, but actually it did have a sort of a shed type construction on it, which was, was replaced. And then another one, which has replaced um, effectively a, a car park and some some other bits and pieces in the town centre. So these are all sort of inner town developments. And yet that means that we're ending up with some quite tall new buildings in a, a town centre that isn't that tall. I mean, there's a couple of tallish buildings, but these new ones are, are going to be the, the tallest buildings in, in the Red Hill Town Centre. And we are ending up with literally hundreds of new flats coming on to the, the market. Now, from my personal point of view, I don't invest in flats. Well, I'm not going into this now. I don't invest in flats, at least at the moment. And I think, Stuart, you've said you don't either at the moment. So do we, do we want all these extra flats coming into to our Red Hill Town Centre? Are you talking as an investor or just a, a member of the local community? Oh, take your pick. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> So I think, you know, we've talked about it at the start. I think everyone's going to have different views on, on what it should be. But I think it's very hard to argue if if space is wasted and we need housing to not bringing housing. I think, and again, I'm, I wouldn't defend any planning because I, I don't know enough detail, but I would say in these areas, and I've seen it in a few towns, actually, I suppose the, the only thing I would say is that when people move into the centre of town, so if they're moving to whatever the centre of town is, but in, in the centre of Red Hill, for example, you're within walking distance of the train station, you know, with all of the transport infrastructure. So I wouldn't, you know, because that is the worry. When I see big flats going up, and we, we have had a huge block go up where an old nightclub used to be, and every time I drive past it, it's next to a roundabout, which gets clogged at the best of times. And I think, add another 250 flats to it, what's this going to be like if even... 20% of these have cars, you know, so that's the other thing. But again, conversations we've had on this podcast about the, the transition of society to electric and how the, the world is moving. So I guess in summary, I don't feel that strongly. I think we need housing. First time buyers need housing. You know, the more housing there is, the better it is for those that need housing. And I'm thinking particularly of first time buyers, you know, we're at the next generations are coming through our next generations and their kids. and you know, we want them to be able to to experience life as we have and, and for it not to be a, a distant memory to own property. So that's that's always my concern. Yeah, they, I, I think your your concern around traffic is is one that certainly rings rings true for me as well in, in Red Hill. It, it, it is going to have a, an effect. There's going to be a lot of extra foot traffic around and also vehicle traffic. It's going to be a lot, lot busier in, in Red Hill Town Centre with all these extra people moving in. A lot of the flats as well don't have parking spaces either. So I don't quite know where, where people are going to park their cars or whether there really is that many people who don't own cars. So it'd be, be interesting. Well, there, there is, of course, a on-demand car usage 
scheme with a couple of sites in Red Hill as well. So maybe they'll grow nicely. Yeah, and and that's kind of where I was going. You know, the the future landscape is changing so quickly. You know, it's changing so quickly how it is. And, you know, the the specifics that we're talking about, and I'm sure in central locations, the the rationale is that the flats that we're talking about, they are literally cross the road and you're at the station. So you're right there. So the likelihood is you don't need it's a, a bit like living you know we're, we're it's kind of great it's just out of, okay it's sorry but it's a stone's throw from croydon which is greater london and you've then got trams tubes and, and everything else so it's like if you live in central london most people won't buy a car for all the reasons you've mentioned you know finding a car park space would be fun and all of that so for me it's there's always an element of nimbyism because you're like well i don't really want it here but we need the housing so it's 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 got to go somewhere but I think it's an interesting conversation as well about the future of transport and working because we are just having the chat as we do on this podcast. And I had to to go in for, to go for a meeting yesterday and drove to the meeting to to where I used to consult, and it just reminded took me back to having to drive to and from an office, you know, commuting, which I haven't done for a long, long time. And I thought, you know, there are so many elements of commuting that I miss, you know, having time and. For me, I was driving, but if you get in the train, you can read and so on. But and of course, all the things of working with other people, which I think miss. But my view was I could do it, but I certainly wouldn't want to do it more than two days a week. And I would imagine there is a strong view coming through, and we're seeing that with some big organisations now, where they're saying people don't have to come back full time. So I think we're going to see a real change to working habits. So, so for example, those flats near a train station, whatever train station that is in the UK, I can see people wanting that because for the the two or three times they might commute to central london for example it's great but then also they're they're still local you know and they've got a good living environment so it's it's interesting to see how this is going to play out with all of the the environmental challenges we've got around you know cars as well i I think i think you're very very much right that that the new normal is a change in working patterns and i've seen this uh, echoed through numerous articles and other podcasts and discussions I've been involved in, that people are not going to be working full time from offices again ever. There are some exceptions; some job roles require movement to be on site. But generally speaking, office work is going to be a mix of remote working, whether that's at home or in a local hub, and commuting into a an actual official office for that that job. And as you say, it's going to be sort of in the two to three days a week split. And that's obviously going to change the way people commute. I think that that might actually reduce the sort of importance of train station being across the road, because now you're perhaps only commuting into London once a week. So on that one occasion a week, you could travel a bit further to the train station, perhaps even drive to the train station, because there are fewer people doing it. The car park at the train station is a bit emptier, so it's easier to park in and things like that. That means that actually you might want a car more because you're living further away from the train station. Or even if you are choosing a town centre flat, so you've got the convenience of the shops and whatever else around entertainments as well around a town centre, it might then mean that you're only using the train once a week and you actually want a car more for other things because they're where you travel more often, so to go and see friends or family who who aren't on a commuting route. And that may well actually, I think, mean that, that cars are more important as a sort of percentage of people's travel time. Of course, 
that doesn't necessarily mean you have to own your own car. It might mean that you make more use of car clubs or taxis or what have you. But, but yeah, I think the the importance of the travel hubs around sort of train stations and the like may well be reduced in in this new world. Well, I, I think they will be reduced, and we've already seen that. But I think the argument is somewhat circular because what we're saying is if if you don't live near a train station so much, you only need to live near a train station. However, if that's where the properties are, where they've just built 250 properties, that's where you're going to go. So I think it, it's where it is. And I think the other thing that you've talked about, so first of all, you know, uh, commuting isn't the only reason. And I think about the next generations coming through, you know, I've always, and it, again, this is just from where people come from, isn't it? We, I completely agree. We are less geographically dependent than we've ever been. And and I think that's a great thing because there's a much more mobility. But I don't think that changes where you need to live. The car argument is one thing. But if one thing we've seen happen with the, with the you know, I don't want to get into the, you know, uh, millennials, Gen Zs uh, and so on and so forth. But the, subscri- the, way, the subscription model, I can see that playing out even more so in terms of the transport. We're talking about cars. We might not have cars in 20 years. And and I say that slightly tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, we there are plans for, you know, taxis that fly. And, you know, we do know that driverless cars is a thing. So it might not be. Whether train stations are as important, but I can't see, certainly in the next 20 years, why it would be a negative to have a property next to a, a key hub because people would like to say travel to central London or central Leeds or central Liverpool, because particularly the younger generations, that's where it's happening. As always, I tend to see both sides of it. And I think both things can, can perfectly be true and still be good for, for the community, first and foremost, and most importantly, but also for us as investors and landlords. In the long term, I agree. In the short term, while people are still quite car ownership obsessed, I think some of these town centre flats that don't come with parking and there is no parking around, I think they may struggle a little bit. But but we'll see. I mean, the, the developments in Red Hill, as an example, seem to be selling quite well. So I think perhaps my theory is completely groundless. I don't know. But on one other matter, I've been excited and thrilled by the idea of flying cars being just around the corner since I was a teenager. And that was a longer ago than I want to work out. So, so I'm not convinced that we're, we're going to arrive at, at flying taxis anytime soon. Well, you know, they've been testing it. They've been test. You know, I haven't heard. You know, they've been testing they've it. They've been testing it since I was a teenager. <laughs> well, but we've seen some really, you know, I think you've got key players now and it could all be PR. But I think th- there, there will come a time. And again, we, we only have to drive down any of our key routes, uh, key, you know, rush hour times to know that people aren't going anywhere fast. And in certain countries, maybe America or Australia, that's not going to be an issue. But in this country, we're certainly going to have to look, start looking at alternatives. And I'm not saying, you know, we're all going to be like the Jetsons in our little bubble helicopters. But I just see that the way where we're at now with technology, you know, electric, because they're testing electric propulsion. I know we're massively digressing on our podcast, but I guess I just don't. I just don't write it off. I think in terms of the the progression that we're seeing. But you're right. There's always going to be a legacy for those of us, you know, that that have grown up with cars. But then I think my grandmother, when she was born, there was no such thing as cars, and 
you know, in, in her 90 odd year lifetime, and she, she died a few years ago now, but in her lifetime, there wasn't such a thing as cars, then there was. So I, I just don't write off. And then with the speed of change that we're seeing at the moment, I, I don't, I don't write these things off because we, we, I think, especially with the acknowledgement, the see the wider acknowledgement that, you know, around climate change, whatever we, we agree or disagree about that from a political standpoint, but we've all agreed that then there is going to need to be a big change about how we operate. That's another podcast. I think it's not, a, it's not an us podcast, but it's an interesting one. No, indeed. And speaking of another podcast, we should probably wrap this one up. But yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to individual Jetson style point to point drone <laughs> automated transportation system. I'm, I'm going to research it now because I'm sure someone quite significant was investing into one of these companies. And I think usually where people put their money, significant investors, there tends to be some movement. So I, I'm going to I'm going to research it just for you because I want to I want to give you your dream. Excellent. Thank you. I will look forward to hearing back. <laughs> I hope that the listeners have enjoyed today's discussion. It's, you know, high level chat and as always, we try and bring you value. And if, if we have brought you any sort of value, please do leave us a rating or review or even just reach out to us to say that you've listened. That would be nice. For everything else, please go to thebusinessofproperty.com. Other than that, we'll see you next week.